Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. I was talking to um, Eric Ortenblad on Monday, and he was giving me a report on how things are going in Minnesota. And as soon as we were talking on the phone, I like had this horrific sadness of how much I missed them. <laughs> As soon as I, just, just a few minutes in the conversation, oh man, I miss this guy. But I'm very excited about what's going on there with them and their church. They have, um, they just acquired a new facility to, to do church in. They, I don't know exactly what kind of facility they were in before, but they were having to do Sunday evening services. They didn't have anywhere to do Sunday morning. Um, but they're um, already up around 50 people coming on a regular basis. And, uh, but they just got a new place and it's a funeral home. And, and I said, boy, that, you're going to mess some things up there, bud. And so they're, they're, they have the chapel and two other rooms where they can do kids' church and nursery and that kind of thing and got a very reasonable price um, for it. So I just wanted to report to you what's going on with Eric and Jenna. Um, they're seeing miracles. He had a friend that he knew a few years ago who came around and just started talking to Eric and having Bible questions and things like that. When all was said and done, this guy gave his heart to Jesus and then reported that he had, uh, he was, he had moved into stage 2 cancer, of uh, bladder cancer. And Eric told him, Tuesday, when you go for your appointment with the doctor, they're going to run a test and there's going to be nothing there. Right. You're going to be, and the guy said, oh, all right. That's exactly what happened. Guy goes in Tuesday, the doctor said, I can find no cancer in your body whatsoever. So um, I just want to praise God for what's going on with them, and, and uh, they just send their love to you at One Cause Church and uh, said that they missed everybody. And I miss Eric and Jenna, but I miss their kids a lot. Because those two little toe-headed, blonde-headed girls, they, they got me wrapped around their family. Every Sunday... They made sure to give me hugs, Lilia and Tilly, before they, before they went home. And so, uh, man, I miss their hugs. But y'all just continue to pray for them and then their son, Nels, of course. And uh, Eric said that Nels is getting to where he can handle his sisters now. And uh, so kind of bullying them around. <laughs> so y'all be praying for the Orton Plads. God's doing great things. They just want prayer for this, this new thing, you know, uh, beginning Sunday mornings and... and uh, just for the favor of God and the community and continued growth. So we bless them in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Okay, let's go to the book of Colossians. This is a, such a marvelous book. Now, it's interesting. If you have, I don't know if you've, maybe you've never done this. Or, uh, if you have, uh, you, you've found it interesting. But they deem that Ephesians and Colossians are known as the twin epistles. Not by length, but by content. Ephesians is six chapters, and Colossians is four chapters. But you see a lot of the same things in these books. And they're written, of course, both of them are prison epistles. As I've said before, um, uh, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon are all written from Paul's imprisonment there in Rome. And during that time, A.D. 60, A.D. 61, somewhere around there. And Colossians is written a lot like Ephesians in this way, that it has a lot to do with your position in Christ and then your practice in the Christian walk. It's, it's pretty much divided up like that. So I just want to give you some of those things. The, the, the focus is in chapters 1 and 2 is the person of, of Jesus Christ. 
And we're going to see just how grand um, he describes Jesus uh, in this great book. And then the chapters 3 and 4 are the pursuit of Christ. We see the person of Christ and the pursuit of Christ. And this is our practice. So that the, 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 we see the supremacy of Christ in chapters 1 and 2, the character of Christ. And then over in 3 and 4, we see our conduct in Christ and our submission to Christ. It's powerful. Um, but I, want, I want us to go to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 9 for just a moment. And I want you to see something that here uh, we see... Um, our belief, here's the, here's the doctrinal sense. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Now let's look at verse 10. Now here's the practice part. That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And we're going to come back to that in just a moment because that, this verse of Scripture is actually where we're going to pull our memento from in uh, tonight's message. Uh, this is, like I said, it was written from the Roman prison, uh, the, what is now known as the Mamertine prison. And our attraction tonight, we're going to find in Colossians chapter 2. Let's turn over there for a moment. Oh, I love Colossians chapter 2. You've heard me quote these verses of Scripture, scripture several times. Verse 13 says, And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. You're going to see comma after comma after comma, having this and having that. It's just one thought, one revelation compounding upon another. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. Anybody know what the handwriting of requirements was? It's the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments. Now this says that it was against us, which was contrary to us. And he's specifically talking about us Gentiles, us on the outside, because the law of commandments, when it came, it came to bring a people to make a nation out of a people. It's the laws that govern that land that, make, that define that nation. When the law of Moses came, it defined Israel as a nation, and these were a law unto themselves from God. And they were to keep this law, these laws, these Ten Commandments, in how not only they treat God, but how they treat one another. All right? You know, the, the, the treating of God has to do with the first ones. They shall not have, you shall have no other gods before me. Uh, you shall not make any graven, any graven image. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day. That's my day. I want you to keep that day. And then, uh, then he goes into how we treat one another. Children, obey your parents, right? Honor your father and mother that it may be well with you, that your days may be long on the earth. And then he goes into how uh, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not bear false witness, you shall not steal, you shall not covet thy neighbor's wife. And so all these have to do with how we look to how we treat God and how we treat others. And that's why Jesus said when somebody asked him what's the greatest com greatest commandment, he said, "Love God, love others." You love others as you love yourself because on this all the law and the prophets hang right there on those two commandments. So uh, but that 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 those laws kept defined Israel as the people of God. And so anybody on the outside, it was, a, it was contrary to them. It was against us. So when this commandment came, for instance, thou shalt not kill, he didn't mean Gentiles. He meant don't kill each other because after that law came, Israel went to killing a lot of pagans and taking land, taking land. I'm talking genocide. 
dads, moms, children, just wiping them out. Whole pagan cities and nations taking them out because God had promised them this land. I'm so glad for Jesus. I'm so glad God opened his arms up to the rest of the world. Huh? And the way he did that was in Abraham, which was a law that superseded the law of Moses. It was 400 plus years before. And so later on, the writer of Hebrews says the law here, the commandments cannot annul that law because that law was first. And we got in, we became children of promise through Abraham because we believe God just like Abraham did. Praise God. So we get all the blessings of that. We all become sons of Abraham through faith, not through keeping a law. But Jesus wiped it out, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Watch verse 15. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. There are some Greek words here in verse 15 that I must highlight for this attraction tonight because it is a powerful, powerful thing that Paul is saying. And we're getting an awesome look into it in the English language, but when we dig into the Greek, we really see what is happening here. The the first Greek word that we're going to look at is is the word epikdoumai. Can you all try that one tonight? Epikdoumai. And this this Greek word describes a complete spoiling or strip, that word disarmed is the word epikdoumai, uh, stripping or disarming of any enemy, often leaving them uh, in nothing but their birthday suit. Huh? In other words, the enemy soldier was left standing stark naked. He had nothing to his name, completely stripped them. This is what Jesus did to the principalities and powers. That is, the rulers of the darkness of this age, to the enemy, all right? It was a complete plundering of the enemy's possessions, lands, armor, treasures, trophies, weaponry, subjects, and captives, all of it. Nothing was left for the enemy to gather together, nothing with which he might retaliate. Completely took it all away. My sister said that my nephew Max, how old is Max? Six, seven? Six? <laughs> Maximus, I like to call him Maximus. You remember the movie Gladiator, right? His name is Maxwell, but yeah, it's all right. Maximus, it's better. And, and Max, uh, the other day, he was sitting at the house and he said, three, three. And my sister said, what are you saying, Max? What, what do you mean? He said, well, Mom, I used to say, free, and now I can say three. (laughs) And she said, yeah, you sure did. He said, I learned how to say three the right way. So she said, well, that's good, Max. And a couple days later, he'd come home and he was working on some of his numbers and he kept turning his six backwards. And she said, my son, that's, that's, that's not exactly how you do a six. You've got it backwards. The six goes this way. I'm, I'm trying to, hmm, this way, not this way. And he looks at his mom and says, I used to say three, and now I say three. And you're telling me I need to turn the six around. You're taking my whole childhood from me. 
The enemy's left standing there saying, you took everything from me. I have nothing. I have nothing to fight with. I have no armor. I have no way. Oh, yeah. I have a mouth still. That's all he's got. Just a loud, lying mouth. Now watch this. <laughs> Having disarmed Apec Duomai, completely stripped them of the spoils. He made a public spectacle. <laughs> I like this word. I'm going to try it. <laughs> I need to go to Greek school. Diematizo. Diematizo. You want to try it? Don't leave me alone up here. Come on. Diematizo. All right. It's used to denote the display of captives, weaponry and trophies that were seized during the war. So it's, this, this is after the spoil. Now we're putting the spoil on display. Okay? Uh, and every item displayed was exposed uh, for all to view and enjoy. This display was not done in private. It was done in public, open to all. So Jesus made a public spectacle of this disarmed devil. This display also was designed to commemorate the victor and to humiliate the defeated enemy. Wow. So imagine that, that Christ, having spoiled all the principalities, and now he has taken all the spoils for all to see. What the devil stole, he no longer has. They belong to me. What Jesus is saying is they also belong to you. So that's what I'm saying. Anytime the enemy has stolen something or has had an interest to steal something from your life, that's not the final chapter. You have to say, no, 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 no. Jesus has disarmed. He stripped him of all the spoils. No, I'm getting what's mine because I have an inheritance in him. And I'm not taking no for an answer. Okay. Now, lastly, it says, made a pu public spectacle of them triumphing. Everybody say triumphing. This is a great word. It's 3MBUO. Let's all try that one. 3MBUO. If you want to roll the R, that's even better. 3MBUO. Hey, I, I, I bet Max can say that one. 3MBUO. And it means, it specifically means a triumphal parade. As a matter of fact, it was used, it, it was a, a victory song sang to the false god Bacchus. Now, Paul is not saying that's what was happening. He was, just, he was just saying it was something like that, all right? A victorious song and a parade, and this parade celebrates the returning emperors, the kings, or the generals return from, from war, all right? So Jesus, the scripture says, led captivity captive, right? So he, made, he, he brought this parade, bringing the conquered enemy uh, beaten and bound in chains to be paraded before all the people. That's what this word uh, 3MBUO uh, indicates an exceptionally strong triumphal parade. Again, this was no quiet or private celebration. All right, Jesus made a public spectacle of the devil. You have to understand that's how defeated, utterly defeated he is. I mean, he put a hook in his nose and marched him through the streets, naked, destitute of anything, any power. Any arm, any armory, anything, just to show. And, and guess what? The, the scripture says that, that he has done this and made it evident to the church. 
That's why we have a responsibility as the church to preach the name that is above every name, the power that's in that name, the victory that's in that name, the good news, hallelujah, that, that, that's in that name, and not, not talk about how powerful the devil is and not give him more than he has. Hmm? And the power of sin and sin, 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 sin. When we have grace, 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 grace. What is, what, what is our confession of sin? Christ died for my sins. Enough said. That's it. Sin has no dominion over me. I'm not under law. I'm under grace. So I have the ability now, because the devil has been spoiled, to do what the writer of Hebrews said. Lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us. And to run this race with endurance. Looking unto Jesus, the author. Come on, can I get a good amen tonight? I don't know about you, but I'm encouraging myself tonight. In this, just looking at what Jesus has done, how thoroughly the enemy has, has been conquered. And I want to just read, based on those definitions, based on those definitions, those Greek descriptions of what was really happening, let me put this in perspective of that. I want to just kind of give you the interpretation of this verse now. Can you handle that? Listen to this. Jesus completely stripped the principalities and powers and left them utterly naked then gallantly strode into heaven in an exceptionally triumphal parade to celebrate his victory and the defeat of Satan and his forces. As part of his triumphal parade, he publicly exposed and displayed the spoils seized from Satan. Nothing was left to Satan's disposal with which to retaliate. Yet the greatest spectacle of all occurred when the enemy himself was openly put on display as bound, disgraced, Disabled, defeated, humility, humiliated, and stripped bare. That's what he did for you. That's what was accomplished at that cross, at that tomb, and at that resurrection. And Jesus now has authority over all of it. There was a time. I want you to think about this for a moment. I was, uh, I remember reading over in... Um, a book in the Old Testament. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> Cover all of it. Where Samuel has died. This is in Samuel, I guess. Samuel, maybe it was Kings. Samuel has died, and Saul is desperate. Saul, the king of Israel, is desperate to get a word from God. And he doesn't, he doesn't know what to do. So he goes to a soothsayer. He goes to this witch at a place called Endor. This sounds like it's right out of a J.R.R. Tolkien book, right? The witch at Endor. So he goes to Endor, and she does this seance, and she calls up Samuel, the prophet spirit, from the grave. And Samuel came up. And I'm reading that, and I'm thinking, now how in God's name did a witch have power over a prophet spirit to call that spirit up. And it wasn't, it, it wasn't an apparition. It wasn't a demonic uh, 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 counterfeit. It was actually his spirit. Because when he came up, he came up mad. Saul, what have you done? And it was not good news that he got from Samuel. He wished to God he hadn't done this. Because Saul said, you and your son is going to die in battle today and they did 
So I thought, how, why, how, how did she do that? Because don't forget, when Adam handed over, when Adam handed over his kingship to the enemy, the devil then became the god of this world, all right? Which means he became the god of this world and everything about this world, in death, in life, the grave, outside of the grave. So she had authority based on what the enemy could give her. Remember when David, when, when, David, when the devil um, told Jesus, he showed him all the kingdoms of the world, and he said, all this I will give you if you'll bow down and worship me. Well, he had a right to say that because he had all that because man had given that up to him. So she calls him up. But now once Jesus went down into that grave went, and he went down into hell itself, he took all that authority back. So no longer can the enemy do that kind of thing. No longer can witches call up uh, spirits of, of believers. That, that's, it's, that day's over. It's over. This is how thoroughly, I'm, I'm just saying that to tell you this is how thoroughly the enemy has been defeated. All right? In life and in death. Hallelujah. What's death for a believer? Oh, it's just a threshold you cross over and then you step into real life. That's it. It's just like that. Just a doorway. That's it. It's not finality. It's just a doorway. Hallelujah. Colossians 1.10. Let's turn there for a moment. That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Man, I love this verse of Scripture. This is what I want to just get to you tonight to, to take into your life, to meditate on, and to put this into practice. Number one, it says fully pleasing. To walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him. What is going to please God? I mean, how long have you been at One Cause Church? What pleases God? Faith. Faith pleases Him. Fully pleasing Him. Walk worthy of fully pleasing Him. The only way to walk worthy of Him is to walk by faith. That is to believe Him. To take Him at His word. And to not be moved by your circumstances. To not be moved, not be persuaded, not be shaken, not be soon shaken in fear. Because His perfect love has cast out all fear. And faith works by that love. And that's what pleases God. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder to those who diligently seek Him. See, God wants you to know not only that He exists, but He has things to give you. Never, never make light of His gifts because they're all expressions of Him. Never make love of the things he wants to give you. You know, I'm, I teach at Christ for the Nations, and I hear these students say some of the dumbest things. I love them. <laughs> Lord, we don't want anything from you. We just want your presence. We don't want you to give us anything. We just want your presence. Hey, dummy. All those gifts that God gives are his presence. Get it? Get it? <laughs> presence. Okay. has a twofold meaning to it. It has a twofold meaning to it. Think about this. In, in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 7, uh, um, the, Jesus is speaking and he says, If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly, that's Matthew 7, 11, how much more will your heavenly Father give good things or give good gifts to those who ask? In Luke, Luke chapter 11, that's Matthew 7, 11, now Luke chapter 11, verse 13 I hope I'm right in giving you all these references. I think I'm right. Luke chapter 11, verse 13, he says this. 
if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the, will the Father give the Holy Spirit? Makes no distinction between the gift and the Spirit himself. According to God, it's the same thing. So he wants you to know he is a rewarder to give of himself to you. Praise God. That was worth coming to church for right there. Amen. Believe. Believe. Walk by faith. Watch. Being fruitful in every good work. So faith is what we live by. Fruit is what we produce. Fruitful in every good work. Now, this is kind of cool. I was looking up. I was thinking, well, what, what defines a good work? What is it that defines a good work? Is it just doing charitable deeds? Yeah, that's, those are good works. Is it being in ministry? Yeah, those are good works. But really, if you look this up in the Greek, it just means your labor, your work. Making a living. Doing your job. Whatever you set your hand to do. That you're fruitful in that thing. Well, what does that mean to be fruitful? <laughs> Instead of striving. Think about this. There's no place in the scripture that says, talks about the works of the Spirit. It's called the fruit of the Spirit, the works of the law or the works of the flesh. So this is then just a fruit. Fruit isn't a work. Fruit is a product, right? A tree bears fruit. It doesn't go, come on, fruit, come on, fruit. I've got to really strive and bing. A tree produces the fruit because that's what's in the tree. So what he's saying is be a product. Let the product of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, be found in your work. What is that product? It's love. It's joy. It's peace. We're not striving. We're just fruiting in everything that we do. Let his love be seen in it. Let his joy be seen in it. Let his goodness, let his gentleness, let his kindness, patience. Long-suffering. I know some of you are, that's your number one fruit at your work. It's long-suffering. <laughs> that's all right. And look at this, increasing in the knowledge of God. This is about you flourishing. How are you going to increase in the knowledge of God? Well, you're, you're doing it tonight, aren't you? You came to church. Why? Because you want to know God more. You want to increase in your knowledge. You, every time you read the scriptures, it's your opportunity to increase in the knowledge of God. When you go to Him in prayer, it's your opportunity to increase in the knowledge of God. When you give, it's your opportunity to increase in the knowledge of God. When you tell others about Jesus, it's your opportunity to increase in the knowledge of God. To flourish, to walk worthy. This is how you walk worthy, in faith and fruitfulness and in flourishing in His knowledge. So just take that with you. I want you to meditate on these things. As you have therefore received, Colossians 2.6 says, As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. How did you receive Him? By faith. How are you going to walk in him? By faith. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. I was looking at Colossians and Ephesians both, and I found, now this is just one thing, but I found 32 things that are alike in these two books. We're not going over all 32, so <sighs> breathe a sigh of relief tonight. But there are a couple of things I did want to point out that I thought were special to, to these two epistles. And one is found in, uh, what was my next scripture? What was the Ephesians one? Oh yeah, Ephesians 3, let's read uh, 1 through 6. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard 
of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. I want to stop right there for just a moment. Now, I want you to think about what Paul just said. Why are these letters here today? Why do we have these letters here? They've been preserved here for us. This is a church to the this is a letter to the churches in Ephesus. But they're here today because they're a letter to one cause church. All right, if they're a letter to them, they're a letter to you. Now watch this. When you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. That's why I'm telling you, you have to spend your time. If in your Bible reading, you've got to spend your time in, the, in these letters. Because this is what is relevant to you. This is where you live. All right? And he says, if you'll read, you'll begin to understand my knowledge in the mystery. What, what's, what, what does that mean? It, it, it means it's not a mystery anymore. It was a mystery. Now it's knowledge. All right, it's revealed knowledge from God. All right, verse, verse 5, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to, by His holy apostles and prophets. I love this, verse 6, that the Gentiles say, that's me. See, oh, you're in the Bible. Did you know that? You're there. This is you. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of His promise in Christ through how? Through the gospel. The gospel is what got you in this thing. The gospel brought you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Hearing that gospel, praise God. I love how easy it is to get saved. I love how easy it is. I love to say it's easy because it messes with my legalistic friends. It's so easy to get saved. Huh? Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's easy. Romans 10, 13. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him of whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe on him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they're sent? Hmm. If they're sent, if they're sent, this is what we do here. We send preachers. Why? Because when we send preachers, preachers preach. And when the preacher preaches, somebody hears the gospel. And when they hear the gospel, guess what? Faith comes when they hear because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And when they believe, guess what happens? When they believe, there's an action that takes place because the spirit of faith is believing and speaking. So they, they believe and then they call. And when they call, they get saved. Wow. Through the gospel, we've become partakers. Now, let's, let's look over at Colossians, mirroring with that. Verse 24 of chapter 1. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. Verse 25. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from the ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. And the other ones, he said, remember, the holy apostles and prophets. To them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among who? Say me. Among which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Nobody, another one, nobody saw that coming. Nobody saw that one coming. Nobody saw you coming. How about this? Uh, 
Let's look at, let's look at uh, Ephesians 5. Does that have Ephesians 5 up there? See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Verse 16, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Colossians, uh, uh, we're going to mirror that with Colossians 4, 5. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. This is where we see this phrase, redeeming the time, in these two epistles. One more place. This is cool. It, it, this would be fun if you'll just kind of walk through these, these chapters again and see if you, can, if you can pull out for yourself the similarities between these two, the, these two books. That'll be a, a fun Bible study. This is interesting. Uh, uh, yeah, 519. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Look at Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I, we might have to put this to practice one night. Tonight, we're not talking, we're singing to each other. <laughs> I thought you'd be more enthusiastic than that. Okay, we'll let the other churches do it, I guess. All right. And now, lastly, I want to let's let's focus here on. I mean, really, it's it's hard not to because this book is is about our preeminent Christ, the supremacy of Jesus. Let's look at the person of Jesus here for a couple minutes. Here, this is awesome. I want to just talk about just a few characteristics, a few things it says about Him. Number one, all things were created in Christ. We find that in this scripture, Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Wow. All things were created through him. John chapter 1 uh, verses 1 through 3, you can see that it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Uh, and this, uh, <laughs> by Him was, huh? Oh, yeah, all things were made by Him that were made. That's exactly right. Um, close enough. Thank you. Faith. Number two, about about Christ is all, all the fullness of the Godhead or the divinity dwells in Him. That's what Colossians teaches us. Listen to this, Colossians 1.15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Verse 19 says, For it pleased the Father that in Him all the fullness should dwell. God thinks a lot of His Son, doesn't He? Chapter 2, verse 9. For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Praise God. Number three thought about this. Every human being can be made complete in Christ. Hmm? Jerry Maguire thought a girl completed him. But you're made complete in Christ. Hope, please don't put that pressure on your loved one. You complete me. Oh, please don't say that to me. Uh, this is not going to work out very well if you think I complete you. You need Jesus. Huh? Don't put me in the position of Jesus. I'm going to disappoint you sorely. I mean, it's all romantic sounding. It's just not realistic. I mean, come on. Amen. 
You complete me when we're making babies. Amen. The two shall become one flesh. That happens when you're multiplying. Why are y'all getting all weird on me? I'm just telling the truth. Huh? You're not, you're not, you're not, you don't, you didn't become one spirit. You became one spirit in Christ, not in marriage. Amen. You became one flesh in marriage. The two shall become one flesh. It's not any, it's not any more than that. The spirit happens through Jesus. Things in the spirit. Amen. Because the truth is, when you go to heaven, we're all going to be married to him. I know it's hard for us to wrap our Hollywood binds around that. You mean I'm not going to be married to her forever? No. You'll be fine, I promise. She'll be better off than you are. <laughs> no, seriously, we, we try to imagine that with our finite minds, right? We try to think, no, I want to be with them forever. I promise you, when you get your eyes full of Jesus, all those thoughts are going to be so fleeting and so... It's not even going to matter. I'm just telling you what the Scripture says. We're all going to be made like the angels of God. Yeah, amen. Yeah, that usually doesn't get a lot of amens, but it's still the truth. (laughs) Christ in you, the hope of glory. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. I love this. Listen to this. Colossians 1.9, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Remember in, in Ephesians it says something very similar, that He would grant to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Verse, chapter 2, verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all the riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's why wisdom is right there. It's, it's, it's right there for you, available. It's a ready, available thing for you to have. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. He gives it liberally. Why? Because wisdom is a person. It's Jesus Christ in you. He who has become wisdom for us. Amen. In the Old Testament, it's a principle. (laughs) But in you, it's a person. Amen. All things are under the authority of Christ. This is the... Another thing that we learn about Jesus in this, the person of Jesus, that all things are under his authority. I want to read these to you. He is the head of all principality and power. That's Colossians 2.10. Colossians 1.15 says he's the firstborn over all creation. Colossians 1.18 says he is the head of the church. And he thinks the church is the greatest thing going. It really is. Colossians 1.18, he has the highest place, preeminence in all things. Colossians 3.1, he is seated at the right hand of God. Yeah. All things are under his authority. And lastly, all our sins are forgiven through Jesus. It's the only way to receive total eradication of your sins. John the Baptist said it himself, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Wow. I want to say something about that for just a moment. This is just a little extra bonus before you go home tonight. John the Baptist, John the Baptist when Jesus came, you know, he, John had a very special job, didn't he? He was, he was prophesied even by Isaiah, as Jesus was, that he would be the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John is called what's known as the bridge prophet. 
All right? He was there to usher in the proclaiming of the gospel of the kingdom, the new covenant that was just on the horizon. All right? He was there to prepare the way of the Lord. And so there he was out there in the desert, living out there in the wilderness, dressed in camel's hair, eating locusts for lunch, dipped in honey. This dude was gnarly. All right? And he's out there telling, repent for the kingdom of heaven is in. He's talking about Jesus, the coming one. And, and what did he say about the coming one? He, I indeed baptize you with, with water, but there's one mightier than I who's coming. The latchet of whose shoes I'm not worthy to unloose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He talked about whose winnowing fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly cleanse the threshing floor. The axe is laid to the root of the tree. Jesus shows up. Nothing like John expected. Jesus shows up, goes over to a guy named Matthew's house who is a tax collector, and a whole slew of sinners and tax collectors sit down and have dinner with him. And Jesus is not walking around going, Repent, you sinners! He's acting like he's not even offended by them. Just sits down with them. And even all the Pharisees are going, What is this? And John's thinking, I have, and you know, John's got a, he's got a problem with this. He doesn't know what to think of Jesus. This is not what he imagined in his head. I'm going to prove this from Scripture. His disciples said, his disciples said, uh, uh, they came to John and said, hey, he's, uh, he's baptizing people and like a whole bunch of people are coming after him. And John said these words, which has come into so many religious circles. I, th- I probably said this thing in a dumb way myself. I must decrease so that he may increase. Hallelujah. <laughs> John's not talking about a spiritual position. This is not you and your spiritual. Hey, listen, if Jesus increases, you increase. John's talking about his ministry. All right. It's time for me to go because the new has come. So it's time for this old way to go away. I must decrease. He must increase. That's all he's talking about. All right? But then some time goes by. John gets thrown in prison. And then John sends two of his disciples to go see Jesus. And he says, I want you to ask him a question. I want you to ask him this. Are you the one? Or do we look for another? What? Come on, John. What happened? What happened? Are you, the, are you the one? Are you the coming one? Or do we look for another? John, you said it. I mean, you saw him. You said, behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. And now, he didn't look like you thought he would look. He didn't act like you thought he would act. He didn't say what you thought he would say. And now here he is. He's sitting in prison going, I- I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced. So much so that, so Jesus says, you go tell John this, the blind see. And Jesus had already done a plethora of miracles up to this point. You read Matthew 8 and 9, I mean, it is just one after another. Healed lepers, healed blind people, raised the dead, cast out devils, did all kinds of marvelous things. And Jesus said, all these things have happened. And blessed is he who's not offended of me. John got offended. He got offended because he was trying to keep the old covenant kind of way while proclaiming a new thing. 
He still had an old covenant mindset, and it just didn't make sense. It made him question everything about this new. Listen to me, this, that old kind of religious thinking. Huh? Some of you were raised in it. I was. Huh? And you, you say all the right things about the new covenant, but you can't help but think the wrong thoughts because you've been trained a certain way to think through an old covenant lens. And even John the Baptist, Jesus said, knows no, none greater born of women than John the Baptist. But even that guy got offended at the new thing. Wow. Just a food for thought. All of our sins are forgiven through Christ. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. That's Colossians 1.14. He has made you alive together with Christ, having forgiven you all trespasses. I love this. Our sins alienated us from God, but we are reconciled through Christ. And we can read that, the, the verses 20 through 23 in Colossians 1. All that. Wow. He, all of our sins have been forgiven. So let me just, just remind you tonight. God's not going to forgive you. He already has. So quit asking him to forgive you. He already has. Thank him for his forgiveness. You got to get that old covenant kind of thinking out that you got to keep. Will he forgive me this time? Will he forgive me? He already forgave you, sweetie. Dude, he already forgave you. It's over. It's finished. Walk that. What do I do when I sin? Quit sinning. What, don't I need to confess? Yeah, here's your confession. Christ died for my sins. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. There's my confession. Christ died for my sins. I'm going to say about my sin what he says. Christ died for my sins. Thank you, Jesus. You see, you keep exalting Jesus in moments like that. Hmm? You just exalt him. Don't exalt the confession of sin over the one who died for your sins. Let me say that one more time. Don't exalt the confession of your sins over the one who died for your sins. That's not the pinnacle to Christian living. The pinnacle to Christian living is believing on him who died. Amen. Let's stand together tonight. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you have spoiled the enemy once and for all. You have spoiled him, stripped him bare, disarmed him. And you have displayed the spoils for all of us and said, here's your inheritance. I am a restoring God, a healing God, a delivering God. Everything that the devil stole, everything that the devil took, no, 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 it's yours. Free to you by grace. And he made a public spectacle of him, triumphing over him in the death of his cross. The enemy has been paraded throughout all the spiritual realm as a lion-losing lizard with nothing to show for his name except a big mouth. That's all he's got. His only weapon is to lie. But tonight you stand in truth. Tonight you stand in a position of victory. Tonight, you stand in grace. Tonight, you stand forgiven, absolved of all your sins, fully pardoned. He has granted you full pardon, released you from the debt of sin, and therefore, the permanence of death and separation. 
Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for that. Now you have a new and living way in which you live by. You have a living hope. You have a hope that is an anchor for your soul. Thank you, Lord. It's both sure and it is steadfast. Thank you, Lord. He has entered behind the veil. Hallelujah. Once for all. Once for all. Once for all sacrifice. Thank you, Jesus. You did it for us. Thank you that you died for our sins, Lord. Thank you that you were buried and that you rose again the third day. We rejoice in your victory tonight. We rejoice in in your overcoming for us, in your triumphal entry, God, into heaven itself, and your triumphal entry into our hearts, and we believed on you. Thank you, Lord. We relish in your victory tonight. Thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you, Lord, so that, Lord, no matter what we face in this life, the challenges and the battles and the, all those things, that, 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 the difficulties, the tribulations, the trials, Lord, we know, we know we have the victory in Jesus Christ because greater is He who is in us than He who is in the world. Thank you for that. Thank you for the surety, the assurance that we have in you, Jesus, that all things truly work together for good. And you are the high priest of our confession. That's why you said, hey, hold fast the confession of your faith. Hold fast. Hold fast. Don't be moved away from your hope. Believe on Him. Bite down on that truth and hang on, hang on, hang on till you see it manifested in your life in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you for peace now. Peace and comfort over every heart, over every mind here tonight. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Um, before, on our way to church tonight, I, I, um, I was just praying for the service, and, and I, I, I sensed somebody was having some back trouble, and I, I really just felt like the Lord specifically wanted me to call that out tonight. If that's you, uh, I want to pray for you just where you're standing. If that's you, just raise your hand where you are. I want to just thank God for that. Lord, thank you for that anointing, for healing these backs right now is released in Jesus' name. It's released now. I need somebody to just touch somebody right now. Put your hand up again. That way, uh, yeah, just, just touch them. Just lay your hand on them. Right now, we, we, we lay hands on them and they recover. Thank you, Lord. Strength right now. Strength. Strength right now in Jesus' name. Everything being put in alignment in, the, in its proper place in the name of Jesus right now. Thank you, Lord, for it. Thank you, Lord. I believe right now that your word, Lord, is coming alive right now. Your word is alive in these bodies. You sent your word and you healed them and delivered them from their destruction. So we just thank you for that now, God, in Jesus' name. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you and give you peace. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Go with God. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.